You guys have already heard so far through the day, throughout the day, we have Advent, and we're excited about that. Uh, just a couple announcements. I want to explain just a little bit more about Advent, and we'll get into God's Word. Uh, first, next week, we are having baby dedication and baptisms at all of our services. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. We hope for all of you to be here to be able to celebrate in that moment. Um, if you're here and you have a kid that you want to um, you dedicate your, your child before the church and before the Lord— or you want to be baptized, um, there's still opportunity for you to sign up for that. Best thing you can do is go to the back by the, the connection desk and be able to just fill out your name, email address, and uh, they'll be able to get you some information um, on what you would need to do for that. So again, that's next Sunday. We look forward to that. Hope to see all of you guys there to celebrate. Uh, so now that we are in the season of Advent, um, if you have been a part of Redemption for a few years now, you know that this time every year we take an opportunity to partner with a local organization to be able to serve. Um, what we've done in the past is that we've been able to raise money for either Rio Vista Center or somewhere in Fiji or last year we did Maggie's Place. Um, and we want to do something local and something that pushes towards an issue that we, f- we believe that the church should be engage- engaging in. And so um, as you saw in the video there, which I'll talk about in just a second, um, is that adoption, or excuse me, abortion is something that we wanted to look at. And we wanted to look at it with the gospel lens um, because we do believe that it's been hijacked a lot um, politically to go, okay, as Christians, this is a man of God, a woman of God, no matter where your political allegiance is, how do I enter in there? And so um, that's what we're going to be able to do. And so with the Crisis Pregnancy Center, um, they're building a center here in Tempe on Rule and Broadway, um, just, just east of Rule or just west of Rule there. And um, we want to be able to give presence there. And so presence, not presence, but our time to volunteer. And we believe that sometimes it's easy to just give money and not be engaged and see what are the issues here and how can I help. And so um, when you walked in, you would have saw a sign that said Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, on the way out, you can stop there and just write hours, times in which you can volunteer over the next year to be able to help them maybe offset their costs and not hiring people, being able to volunteer our time. And so that's one thing we're going to do. Um, but we saw a direct correlation with abortion and then the opportunity of adoption. And so we are still going to raise money, but the money that we're going to raise, it's going to go towards Christian Family Care. Uh, Christian Family Care is an organization that um, stewards resources to help um, kids be placed in homes, to be adopted in homes of people who center their lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to raise uh, money for them. And the great thing about that is we knew we were going to partner with Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, then we called Christian Family Care and said, hey, uh, we're gonna, we, we want to raise money for you guys. Do you guys want any money? And they were like, no, no, of course they were. They're like, who are you? And they're like, never mind, we don't care who you are. No, they, I said, we're just a church. Um, I said, I don't know how much money we're going to raise, but we've, we've raised quite a significant amount of money. Um, and we want to be able to partner with you guys. And, but specifically, I want to know what can we do instead of just giving to the organization to give to something specifically. And the lady was just uh, so overjoyed. She goes, you have no idea. We've just been praying how we need a donation to come in by the end of this year. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, every year we have uh, at least one kid that's born that's uh, with mental disabilities. And this year we've had three. And the costs are are far more than a a kid that was not born with those disabilities. And there's not a whole lot of families that feel called to adopt a kid that they know for a fact will be born with um, with, uh, disabilities. And so we thought, okay, so what can we do? And and the the lady was telling me that the money that we will raise will go to help offset the cost of medical bills and so forth uh, to adopt these children. And so um, it's very expensive, very, very expensive. And and when I say even the money that we raise, if we even raise more than what we did last year, which I think was $35,000, 
thousand um, will just offset the cost and be able to help um, significantly. And so we're excited about that. And so we're going to give presents to Crisis Pregnancy Center, and then we're going to give our resources, our money to Christian Family Care, um, and we're going to have that one-time offering for the money, and that's December twenty-third, um, December twenty-third, which is a Sunday just before Christmas Eve. So. Here's where I have to come in and make an apology. Last week, I gave you guys a two-year kind of plan for Redemption Church, and I thought I was all excited. And Okay, I got a lot of details wrong, all right? So I got to come back and, and tell you uh, I'm wrong, right? So on the 23rd, I said it's a Sunday. We're going to have services all day. Not true. We're only going to have services at the 9 a.m. and the 1045. That's it. No night services on that Sunday, okay? 9 and 1045 on the 23rd. The next day, I said that Christmas Eve is on the Tuesday. But given that Sunday is the 23rd, 24th, usually most calendars, Mondays come after Sunday, so got that one wrong. So Christmas Eve is on a Monday, and we are only having evening services. So the Sunday, we're going to have a 9 and 10.45, a normal Sunday service. We're going to have a different service, Christmas Eve, the next day at 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. Um, so far, uh, as far as I know, those are the only two mistakes that I made. I'll come back next week and tell you three more, I'm sure, right? Before we get into the word, I do want to say something just briefly about the video, um, that we did that video. That was something that I, I just want to let you know that um, my wife and I have shared that story uh, um, about my story. This is before I met my wife, and uh, my wife used to actually work for Crisis Pregnancy Center before uh, she had her first son. And um, it's a story that we tell, not because we, we, we like to tell it, we like the raw of it or anything like that, because we know, especially being in, in ministry now, that there's tons of people in our, in our congregation that have that struggle and have never uh, received the grace and the healing that I believe that, that I have. I mean, I, I really believe that I have. Um, and a lot of men and a lot of women. And so we wanted to be able to bless it. And so the elders thought that it would be a great idea. And so we, we decided to make that decision to show that. And I say that because that's not something that I think everyone should just have to tell their story by no means. And my, my uh, hesitancy in showing that was um, the thought like that that is about me or rah-rah, crisis, pray. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's pastorally to say, hey, um, there is uh, an overflow of amount of grace um, from the Lord for healing um, in that particular issue. And so we do it for that reason, not by no means to say, oh, look what we showed in church today. Just to give you that, it's, it's for people. And, and our hope is that the people here who have never told that story um, would be able to come and, and receive blessings and prayer and um, just uh, walk alongside you from myself or, or my wife or the other elders and their wives here. And so that, that's an open invitation that we want to be able to see God um, move there. So... Um, that's all I have for that. Would you guys uh, take your Bibles? We're going to be in First Peter this morning. Um, we've been in First Peter for the past 14, 15 weeks, and we'll be for at least the next three weeks. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, and then one of the guys will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep your hand raised high. We'll give you one, and you can keep it. Uh, please have it so that you can read God's Word and grow in it and, and understand what it is that God says. Um, First Peter, uh, we are now two to three weeks left. Uh, I believe Peter is downshifting now, um, meaning he, he, he's uh, telling it at the tail end of his letter to this, this audience, this group of people that were suffering for obedience sakes because they love Jesus. Um, they profess Christ and they also lived out their understanding of Christian ethics and obedience. And because of that, people were, were criticizing and they were suffering and their suffering was social. Now Peter transitions now, uh, up until this point, he's been talking about um, people's hands in suffering. 
Um, so the things that we can see, family members, friends, co-workers, classmates, roommates, um, that they're suffering, suffering that we can see who it's coming from, and now he begins to show us um, the hand of God in it. So it's easy for us to see in the natural, but now what Peter begins to say is, um, here's what God is doing in the supernatural, the things that we cannot see. Meaning, meaning God, in his sovereignty, he causes or actively allows all things for our good and his glory. Let me say that again. God, in his sovereignty, he causes or actively allows all things for our good and for his glory, for those whom he's called that believe in him. Meaning God himself knows what's best for us, which is, which is hard. Personally and corporately, it's hard because we want what's better and usually we want what's better in the moment. But see, God has a holy uh, God perspective to see the big picture and he knows what's best for us. Therefore, God is about the process. And he loves the process. And he's not like the watchmaker who makes the watch and then steps away. But God himself is, is involved with the process. That he, he's, he's, he's in it. He's with us. He says he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. That's the point of Christmas is Emmanuel. That God is with us. And so what Peter does here in talking about the process of suffering and how God's hand is in it and drawing us closer to be like him, to be near him, um, and to represent his name, there's three things of a, of a process that he shows us. The first is the process of testing. The second is the process of the spirit. And third is the process of sanctification. The process of testing, the spirit, and sanctification. So before we open up God's word, let's ask God by his Holy Spirit to illuminate it so that we may understand it and apply it to the waters of our life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would allow us, Lord, in your good grace, to slow down this season, to remember you, to be with our family, our friends, and to be givers because we've been given so much in Christ Jesus. As we come to your word, Father, we pray that you would illuminate it, that your Holy Spirit would use it, and you'd bless us, Father. That you would remove me, that we may see the cross of Jesus. As we continue to live for you, God, help us understand um, what you were doing within our sufferings, how you were making us more and more like yourself. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Now that it's Christmas time, uh, one of my favorite things to do is watch Christmas movies. And my favorite Christmas movie, just edging out Home Alone, is... um, it's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if you guys have ever seen It's a Wonderful Life. I was talking to some of the younger guys and they'd never seen it. And I was like, well, you're not living until you know who George Bailey is, right? So It's a Wonderful Life. Just in case you've never seen it, it's only been around for 90 years. Um, it's, it's a Wonderful Life is about a man by the name of George Bailey. And I resonate with George Bailey in that he's in this town that he's grown up in. And he, he likes it, but he wants to move. He wants to go to Germany. He wants to go to France. He, he wants to go anywhere else but be where he's at. Well, it comes out, his family, his dad runs this business, and it's a loan business, and he's a great guy, but he dies. And then this man uh, by the name of uh, Potter, um, Potter's going to take over, and he's like, George, why don't you stay and run the business? So he doesn't go to college, he allows his younger brother to go to college, but the plan was his brother would go to college, he'd come back and take over the business. Well, his brother gets married in college, he gets another job, so George is left to run the business. And bitterness grows in him because he's not content in what his life is like. And so as it builds, he's upset, he's grumpy, he gets married, and there's one night that it comes together where he's mad at his wife, he's mad at his children, he yells at his children's teacher, and, and, and it's just a wreck. I mean, his life is a wreck because he does not want to live anymore. Because he sees his circumstances and he sees his situation and he doesn't like it. By the end of the movie, he has what I would call a conversion, and he sees that his life is good, and he realizes that he has 
a wonderful life, right? If you've never seen the movie, thank you, all right? Or you're welcome, right? <laughs> so what, the reason why I like the movie, the reason why I like the movie, this is backwards, um, is because of the process. I love it because it's a good story. It shows he doesn't get it here. He doesn't get it here. But by the end, he gets it. The circumstances in his life, they never change. The situations, they never change. But he gets a perspective of what's happening. I believe that Peter now, towards the end of this letter, begins to do the same for us. That, that he's been talking about suffering. He's been talking about what will happen when you live for Jesus obediently. And now he's saying, here's what God is doing. Here's what God is actively causing or allowing. So that by the end of the story, that when you see Jesus, he would look familiar. That you would have a desire to grow and be like Christ. That Peter is trying to give us, by the Holy Spirit, a perspective. And how God is in the process. And how he enjoys the process. And that though there's certain things that are happening in our life now that we don't know. We have no idea. We want to ask God, God, what's happening? We ask that question. Lord, what are you doing? Why did this happen? And we never get the answers. Hardly. At, at best, what we can do is once we're removed from a particular trial or testing, we look back and go, oh, I see what God was doing. I see what he was doing there. And even then, it's subjective. We're not always sure. And there's certain things that we look at. Why did this happen when I was a child? Why is this happening now? And that in this life, we don't know. But we trust that God knows best. And he trust, we trust in his process in this world, knowing that the end result would be that we would stand before him. He would look familiar and we would desire to be with him for all eternity. And so Peter begins to, to show us first the process of testing. That there's testing that happens. That God is looking for the finished work. I don't, I don't know if you guys ever, um, ever watched PBS growing up. Um, and I watch it now because my kids like it. And there's the guy, Bob Ross. I don't know if you guys know Bob. He was the guy with the afro that was always painting and stuff. Yeah. White guy. Nice afro. Every black dude in the 70s was like, dang. <laughs> How does he get that, right? And the reason, the reason why I love it, even I watch it now, is, is that every time he's painting, right, he makes it look so easy. And he goes, oh, I'm just going to put a splash here and just mix this red here. And, and this is going to be a house. And I'm like, that's not a house. Like three seconds, oh, that's a house. <laughs> and it's this whole process. And at the very end, he shows us the painting, right? If I would have just seen that painting, I would have gone, cool, a house, rivers, rocks, whatever. But watching him go, man, he just took that paint and made the house with rocks and rivers. That was amazing. It's a process that happens. And so when it comes to the process of testing, God is doing something in us. Um, it's effortless for God because he's God. But for us, it hurts. Sometimes it's hard. We're asking questions and there's nothing wrong with that. But God is ultimately saying, I want to see the work and I want you to see the work. And in the, pro- the process of testing. Here's what Peter says in verse 12. He starts off with saying, Beloved. The reason why I say he's downshifting here is because Beloved has the idea of he's taken off the apostle's hat and he's put on the pastor's hat. He's saying, I want to pastor you because I'm in this with you. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's saying, listen, guys, don't be surprised. Meaning to the person who believes in Jesus, you should not be surprised that you will have trials and sufferings. And particularly what Peter is saying, don't be surprised when you have trials and suffering because you're obedient. Meaning it it shouldn't catch you off guard. Now, 
He's not saying that you're going to know when it's going to come. He's not saying um, that every Christian should be able to know when suffering is coming and you shouldn't, you shouldn't cry, you shouldn't weep. No, no, no. He's just saying know that it's going to come because you're following Jesus. Jesus himself said, if you are going to follow me, pick up your cross. That was a metaphor for suffering. If they hated me, Jesus said, they will hate you. So whatever we see that happen in Jesus' life, the rejection, the conflict, the trials, the strife, ultimately the crucifixion, he said, don't be surprised when these things happen to you. They didn't love Jesus, and so don't expect him to love you. And he's saying, don't, don't be surprised at this. But then he says that the fiery trial, the fiery trial there is a, is a picture here, um, has a positive implication. It's a picture of a furnace that is meant to melt metal. And the purpose of melting this particular metal is, is in order that the impurities would be washed away. And that the impurities would be boiled away. And so that it would be exactly the way that it's supposed to be. And so, so Peter gives this illustration of saying there is something happening, not just from a, a natural standpoint, but there's something that God is doing. And, and your trial is different than my trial. And my trial is different than yours. And either you've gone through a trial and, you're, and you're, you're not in one now, or you're about to get through a trial, or you're about, a trial is about to happen, or a test. And, and, and here's Peter's words here. Um, he says, upon you to test you. That, that word test there. Um, this shows the active hand of God. Um, this word test is a Greek word, periosmos. It's the same word that James uses in a familiar passage in James chapter 1. When he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials. The language there, trials, it's test. Meaning it's supposed to be a positive result. That this is a process that is happening when you go through trials. In our case, in the case of First Peter here, Peter is talking about tests that will happen that God is trying to reveal who you are. Ultimately revealing who he is. That he's saying, show your work. I'm trying to, not just the results, not just the finished painting, but the actual work. Have you ever taken an algebra class, college algebra, algebra in high school? Um, one of the best things that I, when I got to college, I loved it. The best thing about college algebra, the first time I took it, um, was, was that the answers were in the back of the book. And I thought, wow, I love being in college, right? And our teacher, for whatever reason, she would give us um, homework assignments, and most of them would be odds. And the odds were the one in the back of the book. And I thought, this is, I'm, I'm going to be a star, right? Then I took a test. So you go in the testing center, there's no books, and I was too afraid to cheat off anybody, and so I just failed all the tests. Hence why I said, the first time I took it. Next semester, again, when I took algebra, college algebra one, um, again, um, I decided I need to actually learn. And the second teacher I had, she didn't just give us the answers that would be in the back of the book. She wanted us to show our work. And so on the paper, she was, I want you guys to show exactly how you got to your answer. And then just put the answers in the columns. I can see the answers. That's easy. But I'm, I'm interested in seeing, do you know what's happening? Do you know what you're doing? In the same way, God himself is not testing us to go, I wonder if they're going to pass. What God is doing through the tests and the trials in our life is so that we would know. Because God already, in his sovereignty, he's all-knowing. He knows the result without a doubt. He's trying to give us that same encouragement in the midst of suffering. That he's actually using the trials that people are, people are uh, causing upon us. That, he, that he's using those things. That he's actively allowing those things to happen within our life so that we may know who we are in Christ. That this is the beauty of what God is doing. And Peter is saying, this is a good thing. This is the trial. God is trying to show you who you are. And to some of us, sadly, to some people, sadly, 
who we show ourselves to be in the midst of trials is not what we profess. In fact, Jesus, in Luke chapter 8, when he's talking about the parable of the sower, he said there's seeds that were over here and there were seeds over here and seeds. And some of them grew up really fast, but they were choked out and the birds took these. ones. And then his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, what were you talking about? And one of the particular seeds, Jesus says, well, these particular seeds, they grew up fast. They liked it. They liked the teaching of God's word. They liked it. And then when trials came and persecution came, Jesus said, for my sake, because of me, because they believed in me, because they looked like me, they acted like me, and they followed me because they, they obeyed. When the suffering came, they said, no more. No, I'm done. Proving that they never really understood the essence of the gospel. There are many people in churches, hear me, there are many people that are gathering on Sunday mornings, every Sunday. They love some of the aspects of Christianity. And it seems authentic. It seems genuine. And life is great. And they say, I walk by faith and not by sight. But really, they're walking by sight. It just so happens what they see, everything's good. And, and what Peter, what Jesus says in this is all of a sudden what's going to happen to every single one of us when we walk by sight, everything's good. We can keep walking. And there's moments that happen when we're walking by sight that things aren't that good. And there will be many who will repent and walk by faith right through that. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Peter is talking about. And there will be some who will go, I'm out. I'm out. Because they had a, a misunderstanding of the gospel. But the gospel of Jesus Christ was never, you're going to be, you're going to have a great life and your kids are going to be healthy. You know what? They're going to walk with Jesus and your marriage is going to be perfect. None of the gospel never said that. Never. Jesus said, and we've been saying this every week, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He was a promise. You will have tribulation. There will be hard times. You see, Peter is saying these trials, um, it's not meant for Jesus to scare you away. But these trials that God is allowing in your life is ultimately that you may know at the end of it, I'm one of his. I am like Christ. And here's what Peter says that we ought to do in this. Verse 13, within these trials, he says, rejoice in as far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, rejoice there is not um, just be happy and smile and clap and say everything's good. No, no, no. Re- rejoicing here, the language there, it's a deep, deep, deep joy of salvation. It's a deep joy of salvation. There's a, there's a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down, that's, 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 that's what he's talking about here. I didn't do that last hour and I won't do it again. There, 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 there's a joy. There's a joy that he's saying there that you should have. This is not, this doesn't mean that you won't weep. Doesn't mean that you won't cry on somebody's shoulder. It doesn't mean that you may not ask, you're not going to ask God what's happening. No, 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 no. It's just the joy of knowing who you are. He said that, that's the rejoicing here. And it says that this joy that you can have now, this is, this is a promise of the joy that you can have now by trusting in the work of God, the process of his testing. And it will, it will come to a point when you see Jesus, when he's revealed, his glory is revealed, you will understand. That's why I use that he, suffering has a way to make us desire to look like God and to make God look more familiar. To make Jesus look more familiar. It's something that we look at, someone we can look at and go, man, I, I resonate with him. Suffering has the ability to humble us. Suffering has the ability to make sure in our lives through testing, testing that God himself is our God. And so hear me on this. It is not about you proving yourself to God. Testing is a means in which God allows or actively causes in your life in order to prove his love and his grace to you. That, that's the beauty of it. It's a process of testing. 
See, they're, they're suffering, suffering in itself, especially a suffering for obedience sake, it draws us to our knees. So, so back to my illustration of um, It's a Wonderful Life. You have George Bailey. George Bailey comes to the end of his wits. Um, the bank, or the, the place that he works for, they're down eight grand, which then is a lot of money, which now is a lot of money. And, and then after that, he goes home and he's arguing with his wife and kids and he's done. He's done. He goes to the bar, he's there at the bar, and he has this prayer. And it's this little humble, innocent prayer. God, if you're there, help me. It's something as simple as that. Meaning, he's looking at his life, he's not content, he's saying, why are these things happening? Lord, if you're there, God, if you're there, if you can hear me, do something. That, 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 that is, in a sense, just an innocent prayer that sometimes within suffering, that's where we are. God, if you're here, um, we trust that you are, could, could you just do something? Now, I don't think that was George Bailey's conversion. We'll talk about his conversion later, but I don't think that was it. But what we see from First Peter is that the testing that God allows in our life um, is something for our good, um, an essence that we may be able to glorify God. And so it's continuing the path of obedience. The next thing that Peter transitions to is not only talking about the process of testing, but the process of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit within our life and the midst of obedience, long obedience, Um, as well as suffering, is what he says in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Um, Here's what he's saying there. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Like, it's a good thing. He's saying if you're insulted, if you're living for the Lord and you're walking in obedience, the way that you do when you're at work, the way that you are with your family and friends, the way that you live for the Lord, he says, if, if because of Christ, you're not looking for it, you're not asking for it, but because of your obedience, you're insulted, he goes, you're blessed. You're blessed. Now, you got to explain what Peter's talking about here. Because there are some people who intentionally look for insults. There are some Christians who are looking to get insulted so they can go, huh, look at me. I'm blessed. That's not what he's saying, right? Peter is not saying that the insult is a blessing. It's never a blessing to be insulted, right? It's not, hey, my, you know, my wife's leaving me, taking the kids, but hey, I'm blessed, right? That's, that's not what Peter's saying here. He's not saying that. There are some people who stick their chin out because they, they want that. That's, 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 that's not it. You're looking for it. Peter is saying that you're minding your business. The picture here is you're minding your business, your head's down, you are following the straight and narrow, you are trusting in God's grace to motivate you to live for him. That, that, you're waking up every day, you're praying to the Lord, and you're saying, God, help me today. Remind me who I am today in Christ Jesus, and let me live for you. And because you're living for Jesus, there's insults. Another thing about the blessing, it's not so much the suffering or the insults, um, but the blessing, is you're not blessed just because you say you're blessed. You know, I think sometimes within Christian circles, we develop languages and we, we develop phrases that are sometimes helpful, but sometimes just overdone. And so we say things like, oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And then if we say it enough, we actually think we can, it, we're going to sense it. And that, that's not it. The blessing doesn't come from the insults, and nor does it come from just saying that you're blessed. Here's where the blessing comes from. It says you were blessed because, here's the why, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is the work or the process of the Holy Spirit. The, the imagery here that Peter gives of God by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that he rests upon you, is, is that of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, um, the, Spirit of, the Spirit of Christ, he would rest upon kings, but then he'd remove himself. He would rest upon prophets, but then he would remove himself. No one in the Old Testament had the constant presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. 
Another imagery here is that of the temple or the tabernacle where the Shekinah glory would be, the glory in the presence of God. And, and, and it traveled with God's people. Um, they, they lost it when they went into exiles. And when they came back from exile, they, they uh, rebuilt the temple and there was no more Shekinah glory. We did not have the glory of God um, and with them until Christ came, full of grace and full of truth. And so now, the age that we are in, now um, Jesus is, Jesus said through, during his life, he promised when he died and was ra- would be raised and went to the right hand of the Father, that he would give us another, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so we are in the best time, biblically, of the story of God when it comes to the Spirit that we should see and experience the activity and the role of the Spirit more now than we've ever seen any time in Scripture. And I'm not just talking miraculous things. I'm talking about the ongoing indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, Peter is saying, in the midst of suffering, you are blessed. You sense this, this sense of happiness and of joy, not just with smiles, but with your posture, with your attitude in your life, because the Spirit is upon you. The Spirit is with you. The spirit of power is within you. That God has done something by his spirit to constantly be with his people. Now, the question that we get, we get a lot of, as, as people would ask, is, I want more of God. I want more of his spirit. I want to be sensitive to his spirit. What do I need to do to be, since I want to be a spiritual person, quote unquote, what do I need to do? And I'm going to try to keep it just really simple. Um, obey. Do what God tells you to do. What what, what Peter is saying here is the way that you will have comfort of the Holy Spirit, that you will experience comfort of the Holy Spirit, is within the trials that you continue to remain faithful and obedient to what God says. That there's not a moment in your life that you go, you know what, I don't want trials. I'm going to step away from that. I'm going to sin. We'll we'll deal with that in just a second. Um, So I I think in some ways it's inaccurate to pray, God, give me more of you. Because here's the truth. God has given you his whole self. He's given you all of him. The question isn't, how much of God do I have? The question from God is, how much of us are we giving him? How much are we surrendering our entire selves, the totality of who we are, to him? Um, All of our faculties, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our desires, the things that we do for fun and the things that we do to work. Are we submitting all of ourselves to the lordship of who Christ is? Because what Peter is saying, the more that you do that in obedience, the more you experience what God has already given you. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the picture that he has here. Um, I I think of it in um, when you look at the life of Jesus, especially through the Gospel of Luke. If you ever want to just do a study on the Spirit and the life of Jesus, read through the Gospel of Luke. Um, You see Jesus connected to the Spirit, drawing strength from the Spirit. In fact, there's a point where Jesus says he's led into temptation when Satan tempts him. Now, the word temptation there is actually the same word test, that same periosmos word that we see in James and that we saw earlier in 1 Peter. Then Jesus himself was led by the Spirit, that God himself was doing something, the Father, in Jesus' life, and Jesus was drawing his strength from the Holy Spirit. It was through obedience that Jesus continued to rely on the Spirit. Jesus' words were, I can only see and do what I, I see the Father doing, and then I do. And so we, in response to that, can say, I only see and do what I see the Son doing, um, primarily through the Scripture, and I can experience the Spirit's presence as I continue to do. So look at the imperative that God has called us to do. Make disciples, love one another, share the gospel. Those are things that we experience the Spirit Spirit when we do those things. Another another good healthy exercise would be just walk through the book of Acts. Just walk through the book of Acts, and you see the role of the Spirit. 
Some people would say the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. I would say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, how he works through the early church and through the apostles. You see individuals and churches collectively submitting to the Lordship of God, and you see the Spirit. You see the Spirit at work. And again, I'm not just talking about the healings and the miracles, though you see that. But there's a people who are saturated with the Holy Spirit. This is the process, the way that God works. If you want to be sensitive to the Spirit, be sensitive to the authority and the Lordship of Jesus. It's not a means for us to be weird or uh, a means for us to just express certain gifts. It is the gift himself of God through the third person of the Holy, of the Holy Trinity. And that is the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Peter's saying. The, the, the picture that I have here is uh, when I was a kid, uh, we went, the first camp I went to was like a Christian camp. My mom sent us to, it was supposed to make us strong and be strong and courageous and like to rough it out, you know. It was in Malibu. I don't know how rough and strong you can be in Malibu. Have you guys ever been to Malibu? Malibu is beautiful, right? Most of us left places and was like, oh, so this is, this is rough, right? Um, but one of the things we had was there's this huge wall that you had to climb up, uh, up the stairs to, and they'd want you to, to rappel down. And um, the purpose where as soon as you jump off the wall, they'd give you more rope, and then you would go to the wall again. You'd push off the wall, they'd give you more rope, and it was to trust, to trust, to trust. And most of us were afraid and didn't go down, and some of us did. And, and, and the people who finally landed on the ground, they were excited. And then the leader, I thought he did a great job in explaining what was happening um, and, and talking about how we should trust God. Now, I use that illustration in the Holy Spirit because of this. Um, here's what you knew. If you walked to the top on the stairs, there was something that you knew. There was plenty enough rope there. There was plenty enough rope that you were totally going to be fine. And every time that you jumped, you got more. And every time you jumped, you, you, you threw yourself out and you got more all the way to the ground. Here's the promise of the gospel. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There, there, you cannot exhaust the Holy Spirit. You cannot exhaust the work of God. It comes down to, will we trust? Will we throw ourselves to him? Will we, will we look at certain situations and will we remove ourselves because of fear of persecution, a fear of insults, or will we, through insults, trust God in the midst of it? You see, Peter, Peter now says there's another way. Um, there's one way to experience the spirit. There's another way to, to reject the spirit. Here, here's what he says. Here's the process of rejecting the spirit. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He's saying the opposite of trusting in God through obedience is, is trusting in yourself through disobedience. He's saying don't suffer. If you're going to suffer, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, which the three of those are all crimes. And then he just puts a meddler, which doesn't seem like it fits. But I think what Peter is saying is, listen, don't suffer for sin. Um, When you suffer because of sin, like when there's consequences because of sin that you've done, he's saying, no, 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 no. That your sin was quenching the Holy Spirit. Your sin was grieving the Holy Spirit. He says, no, 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 you're not going to suffer for that. And I I, I love, we know what an evildoer is, someone who does evil, and we know what a murderer is, and we know know what a thief is, is someone who steals. The meddler was the one who was like, what is he, a meddler? Like, like, I always tell my kids, quit quit meddling, right? Uh, what, What is he talking about there? He's talking about annoying people. He's talking about when we, as Christians, put our nose into everybody else's business. Then when we jump into people's conversations and at work and, and we try to tell them to change their life, usually by behavior modification, not even entering into the gospel, he's not saying stay away from people. He's saying just stay out of people's business. He says if you're suffering because you're just a nosy person, then that's on you. You can't walk away from that going, ha for Jesus right there, crown, right? That, that's, not, that's, that's, that's not what he's saying. He, he's not saying that. 
In fact, when you sin, I said before, you, you, you quench the spirit and you grieve the spirit. See, to quench the Holy Spirit, meaning that if you think of a fire, you're putting it out. If God is telling you to do something and he's called you to do something and you're constantly saying no, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a person, he, he is the third person of the Trinity. When we do things that he calls us not to do, he grieves, grieved. And so some of us, we don't have a sensitivity to the Spirit, not because God's removed the Spirit from us. He never does that. If he's given you the Spirit, you have a down payment. You're his. But what happens is with sin in our life, whether it's through suffering or not, when we, when we sin continuously and we don't repent to Jesus, we don't have the awareness. We don't, we don't experience. We don't, we, don't, we don't sense as if we're near God. And it's not to say that when you walk with the Spirit, you always feel, oh, man, I'm on this mountaintop with the Lord. No, not at all. In fact, I'm convinced that when we're on mountaintop experiences, that that's not where God teaches us. I think it's where God just shows us, hey, this is good. This is good for a moment. You do believe. It's, it's great. You can, it's easy to obey when things are going good. It's when we get to the valley that I think that grows us. It's when, when things, when, again, we're walking by faith because sight looks really bad, but we're choosing to walk with the Lord. Um, it's in those moments I believe that God is growing us if we choose to walk in righteousness in response to the gospel as, a spo- as opposed to presuming upon God's grace and walk in sin. And so the process of the Holy Spirit is this. God gives us the Holy Spirit. He opens up our life to believe in him. The Spirit never leaves us, but the Spirit is constantly guiding us, um, convicting us of sin and of righteousness, leading us primarily through God's word. And the more that we can experience and be sensitive to his spirit is not by sin, that would be ruining it, by, by obedience. And in Peter's case here, um, especially even with persecution, even when things are wrong, that we come to a moment where we constantly are saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. So back to my friend, George Bailey. He prays again. The second time he prays, I believe it was a prayer of conversion. What happens in his life now, after he's seen his life uh, through, the, through the eyes of a uh, uh, his angel friend, Clarence. Clarence is his friend. Clarence is trying to get his wings. That's not theologically correct, but hey, it's just a movie. Clarence is the angel. He shows him his, his life, what his life is like, what it would be like without him. And, and now George Bailey says, Lord God, and I love his prayer. He says, God, I don't care about my life. Get me back to my wife and kids. Get me back to other people. That, that I, again, I, I think there's a picture of conversion. If God wrote that movie, which he didn't, um, there would be a conversion there. That he's saying, I don't care about myself. There's something that's been revealed through the process of testing, through the role of the Spirit, the process of the Spirit. I, I don't care about my life. What do I need to do? That, that, that right there is a healthy place to be in. He said, just, just get me back. Just get me back to you. Peter gives our last stage here, what I would say of us being people, men and women of God, who live in the midst of a broken world. Not just as God testing us, we see his hand there. But we see the hand of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the midst of suffering. He gives us comfort. And then the ongoing work of the process of sanctification. Sanctification is us, like George Bailey, having a daily position of saying, God, it is not about me. It is about you and about others. It's daily waking up and saying, God, I am who I am, not because of the people, what people will say about me today, not because of what I did, good or bad, last night or today, but because of who I am in Christ Jesus. That sanctification is the work of God in which he is making us more and more like his son. And the way that God does that, it's not always fun. It's not always something that we would prescribe for others or even ourselves. In fact, when it comes to the process of sanctification, here's what Peter says, verse 17. For the time of judgment, 
Oh, excuse me. Verse 16. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For the time of judgment is to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what shall be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The process of sanctification. The first thing is, what we see in verse 16, it says that if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. He's saying, listen, if you've noticed the testing in your life that God is doing something, you may not know what, but you just trust in his process. And then you're continually obedient, and you're in the spirit as at work. He gives you a sense of comfort in it. And people are coming along around you and your issues, and you're coming alongside of them and their issues, but you trust the spirit, and you, you can sense the spirit at work in your life. You're just obedient. Even when you don't sense him, you're obedient. And then comes the, the process of sanctification. He says, okay, listen, if you're suffering as a Christian, hey, don't be ashamed of God. If you love God, never be ashamed of him. Pa- Paul uses that language. Peter uses that language. And, and, and the reason why they both use that language is because they were both in the Roman Greco world, where there, were, there was a lot of criticism, and that people were ashamed because they would, they, they would, they would shut down their faith. They, they would shut it down. Not just they were just not loud and evangelizing, but they would begin to, to pull back away from culture because of the issues that were happening because of their belief in Jesus. And that happens to all of us, to all of us, that we were around family members, we were around friends, coworkers, roommates. And then, and then when something comes up, we know the Spirit is telling us in that moment, um, do this or live like this, and we go, oh, we step back. The picture for me is that of the, the dimmer switch. It's my, grandma's, my grandma's house used to have one of those dimmer switch things where you can turn the light down and get lower and lower and lower. And I feel like some of us do that. Um, not all the way off because we, we're Christian. You know, we might put on a cross, get a tattoo, something like that, bumper sticker, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll turn it down, and then we'll turn it back on when we get around each other. And we'll complain about everything that happens at work. We'll complain about everything in my family. I'm the only Christian in my family. Me, me, me. I'm, I'm, I'm the martyr. And yet when you're around your family, they just, you just turn it down. Either you're arrogant. There's no evidence of grace in your life, if any, just a little bit. Peter's saying, don't be ashamed. If you love God, you love God. <laughs> That's it. And you should be excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, we used to have guys on, and there's still guys like this, but we had guys on our team, they would like a particular girl, right, in college. And they would tell, oh, I don't, I'm a, I don't like her. No, no, I, she likes me, right? It was just really immature. And then they'd be with each other. Hey, boo, you know, I, you know, I love you. You know, you're, you're the only one for me, girl, right? And they'd get around us, oh, I don't even know her. And it's like, listen, if you love her, you like her, you like her, man. We know you like her. You're lying, right? Just make it Facebook official, right? Just, <laughs> just go ahead and just, just that, that Peter, Peter is saying, he's not saying make it Facebook official. <laughs> he's saying... Be honest about it. Don't be ashamed. Part of your sanctification is acknowledging that you love Jesus. Like, it's okay to be a Christian. Sometimes today, it's like we don't want to say that we're Christians, we're Christ followers. We have all these different languages because we don't want to be like other Christians. Listen, other Christians have ruined it, and chances are we are ruining it for the next generation, right? Just, we love Jesus, and that's it. The reason we make mistakes and we have issues, that's why we know we're Christians, because we needed a Savior. Peter's saying the first part of your sanctification is acknowledge Jesus. Love him. And the next part is even harder. Verse 17 says this, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And he begins to unpack If it's going to be hard for us, imagine for people who don't believe. Now, at first glance at that word judgment, what should come to our mind and what naturally does is condemnation. You say, okay, wait, God's going to condemn us? That's not what the word means. The, the word here is more of evaluation. 
Um, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Beautiful. What he's talking about here with judgment is, is that through these trials that God is actively causing or allowing in our life, that there's an evaluation. That God is doing something. He's, He's evaluating the, the, the picture here of evaluation is that of the, the silver maker. If you guys have ever seen um, or heard about people who make silver, the, the way that it works is they get silver here in a container and they burn it. And it goes through an evaluation. And then when it burns, the purpose of that is that all the gunk and impurities that comes to the top and the silver maker takes a cup, he scoops it, and he throws it away. Then he goes through that process again. And again and again. And the purpose of it is the one who is uh, the silver maker is getting the silver to a certain point that he knows that it's ready when he or she could look into the silver and see a clear reflection upon themselves. What, what Peter is saying is God, a true and better silver maker, is allowing trials, giving you the spirit ultimately bringing judgment amongst all people. The evaluation for those who are Christian is God is allowing these things to happen in your life. Just like he says in James, it's so that when God looks at us, that he would see a clear reflection of himself. And the way that we grow is oftentimes through these experiences. Now, some of you, you've been Christians for a long time. And you could probably preach this sermon a thousand times better. 30 years from now, I can preach this sermon way better. Because I'm only 30. And when, I love sitting down with people who have walked with Jesus for years, and they'd go, yeah, yeah. And you know what it's like. They're slower. They're quicker to repent. They love Jesus. They sing certain songs, and I love it. They just sit there, and then tears are streaming because they understand what God is doing in their life. We may be understanding in a, in a concept. I believe this, but I know it's going to take more of that fire in order for God to scrape the things off of me and, and off of you and off of us as a church. But what we know is the evaluation is not for God to go, did he make it? The evaluation is because God is more concerned with our sanctification than we are. God is more concerned with us looking like Jesus than we are. So every morning when we wake up, especially from a night or a week or a season that we just, oh, we're not living for God and we try to beat ourselves, we don't start there. Christ was beat on our behalf. We start with going, God, I can't believe that you care about this more than me because I keep messing this up. You care about, I'm thankful that you care about this more than me because if left up to me, you see what I do and God says it's never left up to you. That not only was salvation by grace, but sanctification is continued by grace. It's not the way we like it. We would never prescribe some of the things that have happened in our life. Some of the things in my life I would never prescribe for any one of you guys. And you guys wouldn't do the same to me. And yet God, God, the great physician, is saying, no, no, no. I know exactly what you need. I know exactly what you need so that you may look like me. You may look like your creator. Peter gives us the process of testing. The process of the spirit in our life, at work in our life. And the process of sanctification, he says that it's going to happen with judgment with the house of God. Meaning, we're our evaluation because of our faith in Christ will be clean and pure. We will look like Jesus. And he says, but as hard as it is for us, you know how hard it is? Because you guys know trials. Because this is hard. And we believe. Imagine how hard it is for those in this room who don't. Because one day we will look like Jesus because of what Christ has done. Not because of what we've done. And then one day you won't. The only way that you will look like Jesus is not by your moral efforts, not by your intellect, not by your wisdom, not by your beauty, not by anything you've done, good or bad, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So Peter calls you, those of you in this room who've never placed your faith in Jesus, and he calls us, those of us in the room who have placed our faith in Jesus, to the same conclusion in verse 19. Therefore, we always say we have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? 
It's there because everything Peter is saying, he says, here's the so what to your life. How you grow in these testing, how you grow in understanding the spirit and grow in sanctification. Therefore, that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The key word there is entrust. The word entrust is a bank term. It means for you to take your hard-earned money and to give it to someone to hold for you. And, and, and that bank in itself had better be people who have the ability as well as the character. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, when he prays to the Father and says, To you I commit my spirit. The picture here, what, what Peter is saying is every single one of us, the way that we grow, and for those of you who have never believed, the way that you become a Christian, it's the same thing. It's by taking all of you, your money, your will, your desire, your intellect, your affections, and completely giving them and trusting them to the Lord. And here's how we can be confident. Because Jesus prayed that in Luke chapter 24, what we knew at that moment is Jesus was dying, and Jesus had in himself no ability to raise himself. Jesus went to the cross to bear our sins, and he trusted fully in the Father and the Spirit to raise him. Lord, I'm letting go, and I'm dying. And then it says that the power of the Holy Spirit and the Father raised him from the dead. And in the same way that Jesus can trust the Father with all of his life, that he would raise him from the dead, we can trust now, entrust to God our kids, our relationships, our marriages, our future marriages. Our kids, our future kids, our our city, everything that we have, we can trust with him. It's scary. It's scary. But we know the character and we know the ability of the one in whom we are entrusting our things. Amen? Let's pray.